The songs today, there's just like a reverence to them. And how fitting. My message is the still small voice. And there are times where that's what we need. We just need that reverence. We need that still small voice of the Lord our God. Amen. And this morning I'm going to go back to just going to read through the scripture first, and then I'll pray, and then, uh, then we'll move on. I'm going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. It's a little bit of a long reading, uh, but bear with me. The still small voice. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Now he did not kill the prophets of God, they killed the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that, for strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in, in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and, said, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after, that, after the fire a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entrance to the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, again, the same thing, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return, to, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And you also shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Savat, of Abel-Moelah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael 
Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do praise you and magnify you. And Father, as we sang that song, prepare us to be a sanctuary. Father, I do pray that it's a process that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our lives to be a sanctuary, Father, where you will dwell. Father, that we may be holy and righteous before you. And we know that that is only accomplished through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, your Son. And Father, I thank you for your word, and I just thank you that you do speak to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to still our lives and to be able to hear your voice, Father, that we would heed what you say, Father, that we would heed your word. And I pray that every word spoken today would bring glory and honor to you, Father, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with twice Elijah says, they have killed your prophets. They've killed all your prophets, he's saying, but I alone am left. He's saying, I am the only one left, and they seek to take my life. But You know, we do not always know all that God is doing, do we? God is doing so much more than we ourselves know that he is doing. He says to him, I have reserved 7,000, 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed their knee to Baal. So he's saying, I'm doing more than you even can imagine what I am doing. That's how awesome and how mighty our God is. You know, the prophets of old, or prophets in general, most of the, most of the time, are despised by the people. They were despised by the kings. And oftentimes they despised them because they would voice judgment that was going to come upon the nation or come upon, upon the king. So they held it against that prophet because they are the ones that spoke the word. They spoke the word against the sins of the nation or the sins against the king. And in this case today, I'm going to have to back up and do a lot of bringing you up to how we get to the place that the scripture was about. You know, Ahab, he sought Elijah. He sought him out desperately to try to find him. And we'll get to why he sought him out, because he is the one that spoke the drought that they were experiencing. But before that, I'm going to get to where and how they were seeking him out. In 1 Kings 18, 7 through 12, and it's, this is a, a, there's a man named Obadiah. And Obadiah was a servant in Ahab's kingdom, in Ahab's palace, but he was a faithful man, faithful to God. He served God, and he also hid many of God's prophets and fed them and took them water. So he was used by God to preserve many other prophets, not besides Elijah. Beginning at verse 7. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. So remember, now you don't know this, but I'm going to get to all this, but Elijah was hiding after he voiced his judgment against the nation and against uh, Ahab. So suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and he fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go and tell your master that Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering me, delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, 
There is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when, he, and when they said that he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So he had sent people to search for Elijah all over the world to try to find him. And they had to sign up, make an oath that he is not here. We have searched every place we could possibly think he could be. We could not find him. That is how desperately Ahab was searching for Elijah. It says, And now you say, Go tell your master Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am going from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place that I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab that he cannot find you, that he will kill me. That is how bad that Ahab wanted to find Elisha. You know, we've been talking a lot, some in Sabbath school, about how God has used ordinary people. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And some of these people were even, sin were even sinners, right? Some of them were even sinners. Well, wait a minute. All of them were even sinners, right? I mean, we look at David. And look how God used David. Look at the Psalms. Look at Mo. I talked to Moses last week, last week, right? Moses had an issue with anger. He struck the rock when he was told to speak to the rock. And did not enter into the promised land, was only able to see it from a distance. God uses ordinary people. And here's Elijah. Elijah believed to be one of the greatest prophets. One of the greatest prophets of all. But yet he had his weaknesses, didn't he? He did have his weaknesses. But I want to look at his strengths. First, his number one strength was he said yes. When God called him to be a prophet, he said yes. Now that's not a fun ministry to be called into because as I've already alluded to sometimes you have to speak judgment against the nation so you're not a very popular person but he said yes he says I'm willing to be used by you God I'm willing to go to the king I'm willing to go to the nation and speak against the sins that they are committing he was even willing to go to Ahab Ahab had a reputation that you do not want. Ahab, Ahab had the reputation of being the worst king in Israel's history. 1 Kings 16, 30-33 says, Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So he was more evil than all the kings that came before him. And it came to pass as though it were had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. So here you have the king of Israel serving Baal and worshipping him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. As I said, that is not a reputation that you want before God, is it? God said that thou shalt have no other God before me, didn't he? And here Ahab is worshiping Baal, setting up his wooden image. But you know, it's more than just why did they worship Baal? It wasn't just so they would have another God to worship. For the nations all around Israel 
And of course now for Israel, there was economic issues at, at hand. Because Baal was considered the rider of the clouds. He was considered the one that brought the rains that blessed the earth. They thought that when Baal showed up that the heavens rained oil and the rivers ran with honey. They thought that mothers would give birth to healthy children. They thought that the dead would be raised. So Ahab allowed Jezebel to influence him, build a, build a temple for this false god. But you know, most Israelites did not totally, re well, they thought they didn't totally reject Yahweh, but they did at heart. But in their minds, they thought, well, we will worship God and we will worship Baal together. But my friends, it doesn't work that way. Because if you're worshiping any other God besides the one true God in heaven, you have rejected God. Because as I said, God says you have no other God before me. But most Israelites thought, well, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to worship Baal so that I will get this insurance policy, that my crops will be blessed, that our children will be blessed, that we'll, the harvest will be great, right? Parents, when you discipline children, what is one of the best ways to discipline them? Let's just say they're old enough to drive on their own and they like to go places. Let's say, so they're 16, 17 years old. They've gotten to that age where, man, I, am, I have a little bit of independence, right? I can go to the movies. I can go to the store. I can go visit with my friends and I can go do the, all those things that I've longed to do for several years. And you give them rules, but they break them rules. You know, we're supposed to be in by 10 o'clock. Well, they keep breaking that rule, and then they're not letting you know where they are. So if they have that privilege of driving, how are you going to discipline them when they break those rules? Okay, you're right on it today. You're going to take their keys away, right? You're going to take away that thing that they long to have. Or for some, it might be you take away their electronic devices. I mean, you take away their cell phone, you think, well, you, they just might as well die, right? You take away that cell phone today, I might as well just die because I just can't be connected with my friends, right? So that's how they're gonna, you're going to discipline that child. What does God do to discipline Israel? He, he disciplines with that which they longed at. They, you know, they're worshiping Baal because he's going to give us the rain. He's going to give us the dew. He's going to give us all those things and bless our crops. Well, listen. Here's what Elijah told Ahab. 1 Kings 17.1. As I said, I'll do a lot of backtracking this morning. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. His message was very short, very to the point, wasn't it? He's basically telling Ahab, when you wake up in the morning, there's not even going to be so much as a dew on the plants. There's not going to be a dew on the trees. You won't see a cloud in the skies. You won't see a drop of rain until I say that there will be rain. 
You wonder why he was seeking him out? You know, most summers, I can tell you this from working in the cornfield, there will be an average of maybe two or three at the very most mornings where there's not dew on the corn stalks. Most of the time, so all but two or three mornings in an entire summer, it is so wet in those corn, between those corn rows, you have to wear a rain jacket or you get soaking wet. The corn stalks come up and they, then they hang down like this and they go right down to a point and the water just drips off the end of that corn stalks to put moisture in the ground. It's amazing. Brian can tell you. You go through, you get soaking wet if you don't have a rain jacket on. But a lot of this summer, you're going to get soaking wet if you do have a rain jacket on from the sweat because it's hot. But the dew replenishes the moisture in the ground. You're not even going to have a dew, Elijah says. You imagine how dry that's going to get with not even a dew? I can tell you how dry it gets without rain after just a couple weeks. After a few weeks, it's really dry. After a month, if you didn't have irrigation, that corn stalks or that wheat or that whatever vegetable plants is going to start to wither up because it needs that moisture. It needs that rain. How fitting. How fitting that God will withhold the rain. He's showing Israel who's really God, who's really in control because He is the God that can send the rain or the God that can withhold the rain. So after Elijah delivers that message to Ahab, the Lord instructs him to get away, to go and hide. Go and hide because I know that he's going to search you out. So as the scripture said, he hides by the brook Sheriff, where he would have water to drink. And God commanded the ravens to bring him food. and He had water from the brook. But God commanded the ravens to bring him food. My friends, do you realize that our God will supply all of our needs? And He can send food, He can send sustenance our way in the most unusual ways, can't He? We know that if He wants to, He can send manna down out of the heavens. That you can wake up in the morning and find that manna out there on the ground. Or He can send quail. Or He can even send a raven to bring you food. But what do we have to do? Trust in Him. Trust that He will supply all of our needs because He cares for us. But after the brook dried up, because of the drought, the very words of Elijah, the Lord instructed Elijah to go to Zarephath where the Lord had instructed a widow to provide for him. So he goes to Zarephath, you know, I don't know how much time he did spend by the brook until he went to Zarephath to the widow's house, but we know that the entire time was about three years. But he goes to Zarephath and there's the widow. She's coming out. She's going to get some sticks. This is just me telling instead of reading it. He, he's coming out. She's coming out to get some sticks, and she has just a little bit of flour left in the bin and a little bit of oil left in the jar. And she's going to bake a cake for her and her son. They're going to eat it, only enough to bake one cake, and then they're going to die because the drought has affected that entire area. But Elijah says, first, go and bake me a cake. 
that I may trust. He's basically saying, trust in God that God will provide. So she, by faith, went and did what Elijah had instructed her to do. Went and baked the cake for him, brought it to him, brought him something to drink. Goes back in from that same bin that should have been empty. Gets more flour out of it. That same jar that should have been empty and poured oil out of it and made another cake for her and her son. The next day, did the same thing. Day after day after day, for years, kept using that same bin of flour that never went empty. That same jar of oil that never ran dry because she trusted in the Lord, trusted in Him, had faith in Him. After three long years, the Lord instructed Elijah to go and show himself to Ahab. He goes and shows himself to Ahab. I already read that. Obadiah. He ran into him. So he goes and tells Ahab, come and meet Elijah. Elijah says, I have a challenge for you. Again, I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to tell it. We all know that Mount Carmel challenge where Elijah says to Ahab, you go bring all your prophets, all your false prophets of Baal and Asher and meet me up on Mount Carmel. And I'm going to allow you to have your prophets to build an altar and place a sacrifice upon it and call upon your God. You call upon Baal and see if you can get him to send fire down out of heaven and consume that sacrifice. And then I will call on the one true God to call down fire out of heaven and consume that sacrifice. So the prophets of Baal built their altar. They cut their sacrifice and placed it upon the altar. And they cried out to their God all morning long and nothing happened. No fire from heaven. And Elijah says, well, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you need to cry a little louder. So they cried all the louder. Still nothing happened. Elijah says, maybe your God's on a journey. Cry all the louder. So they cut themselves. They threw themselves upon the altar until evening. Of course, we know that nothing happened. Elijah says, now it's my turn. So Elijah places a sacrifice upon the altar and has them pour water upon it. Let's soak it down. The water runs down over the sacrifice and fills the trough that they have dug around the altar. They poured water over it a second time and a third time. And then finally Elijah calls on the true God of heaven. And immediately, immediately God sends fire down out of heaven, consumes the sacrifice, licks up the water out of the trough, cleans it all up. Then Elijah says, get the prophets of Baal and Asher and put them to death destroyed the prophets, the false prophets of Baal and Asherah. That is then the message that was taken by Ahab to Jezebel. Then Jezebel says, I will do unto you as you've done to them. And Elijah runs for his life. My friends, there's the part you see the weakness. You see the weakness. He runs. He was afraid. And you ask, how could he go from such a tremendous victory on Mount Carmel to see the power of God, Almighty God, to running for his life. Where was his faith? Well, he had faith, but remember, he was a man. Because Elijah thought he would see the nation of Israel turn immediately and repent, but they did not. 
So he's depressed. He says, Lord, take my life. Take my life is enough. Take my life away from me. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says, Elijah no doubt expected that after that wonderful display of God's power on Mount Carmel, that the nation would immediately give up its idols and would turn to the only true and living God. The prophet trusted that the heart of Ahab might perhaps be touched, and possibly even the heart of Jezebel. He hoped that by an influence established over the king and queen, that the whole land would speedily glide back to allegiance with Jehovah. But whenever he found out that that did not happen, his spirit fainted within him. He felt that his victory turned out to be a defeat. He thought that he was a failure. My friends, he, he was not. You know, last week I spoke of the connection between the mercy seat and Jesus Christ. Today I think there's an interesting connection between Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. As I read in 1 Kings 19, in verse 8 it said, And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So he was on a wilderness journey for forty days. Now we know that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for forty years, right? To get Egypt out of them, to prepare them to go into the promised land. But here, he goes for 40 days. He was not in that cave for 40 days. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. Then he went to the cave on Mount Horeb. Moses went up that very same mountain. I know in Exodus it's called Mount Sinai. My friends, it's the very same mountain. Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai is the same mountain. <clears throat> in Exodus 24, 16 through 18, it says, Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. There's another resemblance there. The, the mountain was like a consuming fire. There was a lot of rumbling like the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but 40 days. And then Jesus, though not up on the mountain, He went through 40 days of fasting, the 40 days and the temptation. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and, through, 1 and 2, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. So my friends, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, let's turn to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. So there we have that connection, Moses and Elijah and Jesus. 
each of them having that 40-day experience. And then there, there they are together on the Mount of Transfiguration. What is that wilderness? What is not in the wilderness, maybe, is what I should ask. What is not out there in the wilderness? The distractions of the world. The things of the world are not out there to get our attention, to distract us away from God. That is what's not there in the wilderness. I've read that passage many times about the fire, the wind, the earthquake. And it said, God is not, God is not in the wind. So there's Elijah in that cave. He's on this 40-day journey. Now he comes to that cave. And God said to Elijah, come out to the mouth of the cave. But he didn't come out. You know, the wind's a howling. The wind is so strong, it's breaking the rocks. But Elijah doesn't get up and come out. He stays right there. The fire, the fire comes by. Elijah stays right there in the cave. The earth quakes, but Elijah stays right there in the cave. He does not come out. We think that the Lord's presence is only in that great and mighty power, like the power demonstrated on Mount Carmel. But then the still small voice speaks to Elijah. And what did the scriptures say that he did? He put his mantle over his face and came out. He put his mantle over his face, a sign of reverence, and came out to the Lord. He heard that still small voice. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? Blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes. He said to the Pharisees and the leaders many times, you guys seek for a sign. You seek for a great and awesome sign. But what is he saying here? God wants us to hear that still small voice. He doesn't want us coming after that great big sign and the fire and the earthquake and all the power. He wants to speak right to here, to the heart. That still small voice is what he wants us to hear because he knows that's what's going to change the nation. The fire coming down out and destroying and flicking up the water and taking that sacrifice didn't change the heart of the nation. But that still small voice, when it speaks to the heart of the people, when they hear that still small voice, my friends, that is what can change a nation. That is what can change a person. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, you won't have it up there, Come unto me, all you who, are lab- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come. God called Elijah to come. Come out of the cave. Come to the mouth of the cave and see me. But he didn't come until the small voice came. Zechariah 4, 6 says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. My friends, it's not by might and not by power that God will change the hearts of the people. 
But it's by His Spirit in here, that voice, that voice in here, changing our hearts. You know, some people feel, and maybe I've been guilty of it myself, that fire and brimstone message preached, yelling and shouting and stomping, but it's the quiet voice of God calling to you. Are you hearing? Do you need that 40-day wilderness experience so that you can hear God? That's a good question, isn't it? Maybe we need to turn off some of the quaking. Maybe we need to turn off some of that wind, that loud wind that's howling in our lives. Maybe we need to turn off that fire that's distracting us so that we can hear God. You know, there's a lot of rumbling going on in our nation, isn't there? There's a lot of fires. There's a lot of rumbling between the peoples of this nation. There's a lot of shaking going on. But maybe we as a nation, maybe we need that 40-day wilderness experience as a nation. I can't answer that for you. Maybe you need that 40 days that you can be still so that you can hear that still small voice because you won't hear it over all the loudness that we have in our lives. I'm as guilty as the next person to having maybe too much loudness in my life. Maybe we need to be, be still and know. Be still and know that He is God and be still and be a little bit quiet so that we can hear God's still small voice when He speaks because that's what He wants to do. That's what He desires to do so He can connect with this heart. Amen.